Building through the draft, the old-fashioned way to build a championship team, and in many cases, the only way to build a competitive team. Over the past 10 years, we have seen a number of teams look to the draft to build the next great team. Some have had great success, while others have remained in mediocrity. Some teams have turned to tanking to give themselves the best shot at drafting that next great star, while some have maneuvered their way through wise investments, wise trades, and elite scouting. And then sometimes it's just the luck of the lottery draw. This is Don't Trust the Process. James, coast to coast, and throws it down! Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans, for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy, Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls off three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Dodgers wins the game at the buzzer! Don't miss a beat. Whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four! The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. First thing we're going to talk about our Golden State Warriors. We mentioned them so many times throughout this little series here. Um, we're going to dive a little bit into how they ended up building what we consider to be one of the greatest franchises of all time. feels like sometimes they did it almost overnight as so many teams have been just mired in mediocrity or at the top of the lottery for years without getting a good team together. But like, let, let's, let's talk about how this actually came together. Because when, when you look at it, it's it's really it's quite remarkable how the Golden State Warriors went from a team who was that team stuck in mediocrity, was a team that was so far from um, competition, and they quickly were able to put together their core and start competing again. Yeah, no, it's been, it, it was a, it was hell, hell of impressive. And I think the, the biggest compliment you pay them is the fact that they have been able to not only have success, but they've also become... I think the second the richest franchise in, in the NBA, which is another ginormous leap that they have made. And that's something that's something that we will definitely need to talk about here um, is the is the money aspect, because, you know, we, we as fans, we love to talk about the championships. We love to talk about competing. Uh, we love to talk about the players. But, you know, for these organizations, you know, they, they act first and foremost as businesses. And, you know, that, that's very often what's going to be influencing what we've seen. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's been such a big turnaround as you mentioned before. I mean, these this this Golden State team, they were off in the wilderness basically from the late nineties up until drafting Curry in two thousand and nine. And even after drafting Curry, the they continued to be plagued by injuries, but that, that ultimately worked out and and allowed them to build this great team through the draft. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing for me because you know, when we went into this, I really wanted to think about, all right, how, how did the Warriors strategize? How did they, they, they really uh, get their, their picks down? But when you break it down, it, it feels a lot like luck here. <laughs> like to get, to get Steph Curry um, at seven, 
after the Timberwolves had two picks. And th this is a nice thread that we'll, we'll tie together in a minute. But to, first of all, to, to have Steph Curry there and to pick him at seven, um, that was, you know, that was a godsend. To, to get your generational talent at the seventh pick and then to have him hurt in order for you to draft Clay Thompson, who I think, you know, th this, is, this is the point for me when it comes to them is, is their, their scouting. You know, they picked a guy, Steph, who, you know, a lot of people weren't sure what his position was, but, you know, they just knew that he would at least be an elite shooter. Maybe it doesn't translate because of his size, but they believed in his athleticism. What they did is they, not only did they believe in that talent, they invested in that talent. They got the right guys around him. And, you know, this is a common theme, theme I think we'll see when we look at some of these other, other teams here is what the, the Warriors were able to do. And I, and I, for me, I really believe this is a lot to do with their, their scouting and, um, you know, the influence of, of Jerry West. Um, for them to have known right away that Steph Curry was the guy that they were going to build around, like that allowed them. I think that allowed them, even though they had their luck, that allowed them to have the, the clarity to go out and draft a guy like Klay Thompson, to go out and draft a guy uh, like Draymond Green, who was second round pick. They trade, it was, it was, uh, it was a trade with actually, uh, I think it was, it was Chicago Bulls who passed up on him, but I'm, I'm forgetting even how they, cause that wasn't their original pick. That was a, a pick they had traded for, but I think it's, that's the key point here, at least for the Warriors. It's not the fact that, you know, they had amassed all these draft, draft assets and they had pushed their way to the top of the lottery. It's they hit on their guy and then they completely invested in that in terms of how they drafted in the future. Yeah, no, I think you look at the way they kind of went they, around the time where they, they drafted Curry, the kind of the franchise kind of took a different turn and went in, in a new direction. They, they just decided this time, time for a revamp. Uh, a lot of different things changes, ownership change. And then of course you get Steph, then you're able to get, Clay Thompson, and we know they obviously have become arguably the, the greatest backcourt of, of all time. Yeah. I don't know who's even arguing against that, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the struggles kind of remained, but then they get to the 2012 draft, they're able to draft guy two guys, Harrison Barnes and Draymond Green, and they're both just guys that suited the new direction of this team so perfectly. And then they make a return to the playoffs. They're even competitive in the playoffs, even though their team has yet to really even get close to their prime years yet. Then they're able to add Iguodala to that core. And now they have that team set. And now it's all about developing the team that they have. Curry and Clay, they begin to become the stars of the league. They're setting all these three-point records. And then the final piece of the puzzle, they fire Jackson, they hire Steve Kerr, and the dynasty groundwork is set. And let there be success for this Golden State team after that. That's the, the guy, you know, the guy that's really stuck in my head that you mentioned there is, you know, Harrison Barnes was an excellent role player for them. Um, I mean, you, you saw it in how he definitely overplayed his value there and then got his big contracts going to uh, the Mavs. But Draymond Green, you know, he's been such a polarizing player in this league. Um, and when you talked about when you talk about building through the draft, we so often think lottery, we think lottery, we think lottery, we think trust the process, we think tanking um but really what did they do there they had such a value pick and i think 
when you look around the league, you look at the the spurs of the league, you look at the next few teams we're going to talk about here, Denver, Utah, you know, they get value wherever they're picking. You know, the, maybe they don't get it every single time, but they get value. And for them to have gotten Draymond Green there, you know, it wasn't just luck of the draw. They picked a solid guy who was elite defensively, could play make, and ultimately was like a vocal leader, the exact kind of guy that they needed on a team with Steph and Clay. Like it was like when you look back on it, it makes so much sense. And right now it worked out entirely. Um, and, I, and I wonder for, for these teams we've been talking about, for the Timberwolves, for the Kings, for the Bulls, um, and for the the Hornets, um, you know, we all, we there's this big question we have, especially this year. And this is this is a very important question because this year we're talking about the draft. We're talking about guys like Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Kaminga, Jalen Green, Jalen Johnson. All these guys. It's a very deep draft. There are some fran- potential franchise changers, and it is an important question that um, maybe maybe tanking isn't the right maybe isn't the right answer every year, but in a year where you have a lot of talent in the lottery, um, do, you, do you think about tanking or do you think about if you already have your good players that you just invest in maybe a, a higher pick, you get a, you get a guy where you shoot for the moon for a Draymond Green type, you shoot for a leader, you shoot for someone who fits into the system that would work around the player you've picked. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of factors there, but um, I think it's interesting in the context of this particular draft. Um, not that the Timberwolves probably have a shot at keeping their pick, mm-hmm. but uh, which, which is funny. If, if you look at the, the draft odds, even if the Timberwolves were the worst team in the NBA this year, they'd only have a 40% chance of holding on to that pick. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's definitely a different conversation for them when it comes to the draft this year, but it's important. It's important to think about what, what for these teams here. What's what's worth it. Um, so I guess what do you what do we think for for the Bulls perhaps? I think the best thing for the Bulls is maybe I think they go with the way they're going because Levine's playing well. You don't want to you don't want to halt that. They're playing solid defense. This is a development year for them. So I think for them, I think the option this year, I think possibly look at moving up in the draft i think that would be kind of the, the the best option for them maybe look to get a trade to, to find a higher pick rather than than going for for a tank from here because they're in a solid position they're in a position where they could very possibly make the playoffs this year and you don't want to say oh yeah just give up now and just hope uh, hope you get a high pick in the lottery now because i don't i think the position that they're in i think the the right call for them now is just explore that trade market, look at your options and try and maybe work a move without giving up anything too, uh, too important to the side uh, and move up that draft. Yeah, I, I guess that's why it, it'll be really tough this year. I mean, what would we see last year? Everyone was trying to get out of the draft, draft down. And this year, everyone's drooling over the, the top five, top six, top seven, and to draft up there. I mean, some of these scouts, not some, a lot of the scouts are saying the top four are miles ahead of an Anthony Edwards type, who was obviously the first pick this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the the market plays out like that. But I, I don't think you're wrong about the the fact that you got to build around Zach Levine. And that's that's the factor for these other teams too. You, have you identified the star? Have you identified the guy to stop building around? Now, you're not going to say they're necessarily your Steph Curry, but 
at what point do you do you stop just accumulating talent? Do you, do you stop tanking and just getting as much young talent as possible? Um, and do you just start competing? Um, and, you know, th there are definitely guys who can talk about Timberwolves. Obviously, you have your Carl Anthony Towns, Kings. You just signed um, De'Aaron Fox. You have Marvin Bagley. If you believe in that, then you start building around that. Um, the Hornets, I mean, we're, we're talking about LaMelo Ball who just continues to shine this year. He's averaging 26 and 6, like this guy in his first few months. He's just had only a handful of games as a starter is, is starting to demonstrate that, you know, this is, this is the kind of guy you want to build around. You want to start drafting accordingly and, and acting accordingly as an organization. Um, and maybe you don't get your, uh, your Golden State turnout. But uh, maybe you get your, your Denver Nuggets turnout. Maybe you get your Utah Jazz turnout where you've, you've built a really good team um, through the draft and you don't intentionally try to screw everything out like the 76ers did. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about these 76ers. I mean, that's, uh, they, they, they're one of the, the famous teams around, around, uh, around draft uh, building uh, over the last decade, I think, um, they gave us our name. I think it was former Sixers guard uh, Tony Roten that, that labeled the team. Tony Roten. <laughs> as uh, when they went for the rebuild in in twelve thirteen, he was the one that labeled it the process, and uh, that those have been words to live by ever since. Tony Roten. That, that's a that's another a name just lost in the ether of this whole process. Um, you know, I, I think the most interesting thing to look at. Um, when you look at how the 76ers have um, done things over the past decade is it's been, it, it's, it's been so polarizing. Like there's, there's no, I'm not really sure when I, when I look at it, how I feel. Like I thought I was going to look at this and be like, like it was damnable, but the way we're watching Ben Simmons play now, the way we're watching Joel Embiid play right now, and the way they've used their assets to get Tobias Harris. And um, I mean, they, they made plenty of mistakes along the way. Um, but I guess, is, is, that, is that success? Is, is trading away half a decade of your franchise to be literally the worst team in the league? Is that, is that, is that, wor was that worth it? it that's, a, that's a very existential question, I guess. Because <laughs> the end result right now, they're, they're, the, they're the best team um, arguing the East outside of the Nets who had managed to get three superstars on their team and blink them an eye, but it's, it, it's tough for me. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. They, the city literally went into a deficit. They went into debt because the team was so bad and not selling enough tickets. Um, they'd lost the ton of revenue over a half decade. Like we said, that was, that this is about business too. This is about, uh, how an organization survives. So, so was like all the growing pains worth it for, for that team? I mean, I, I want to say yes when you look at the what they're doing now, but at the same time, it's taken them this long to get to this level. And as they're getting to this level, you look at, at the teams around them, you look at the books, they've got they've got a solid, a really solid team. They've got a two-time MVP. They've got all-stars in, in Drew Holiday and Middleton. And, of course, the Nets. They've put together the ultimate super team in, in KD, Kyrie, and, and Harden. So, I mean, you want to say it has been, it's been a, a clear and obvious success, but at the same time, this is the first year where you're kind of looking at them and you're really like, yeah, 
this is all coming together now. It, it all worked out. But there are not only teams in the Western Conference that are right up there at this time as well, but in their own conference in the East, there are teams that have have really got serious talent and are going to be incredibly tough to get past, even with the 76ers playing at their top level. I mean, let's look back and just how it all, all worked out for them. I think after that, they had a... a they made playoffs in 2011-12, uh, and then after the 2012-13 season, it was the process time, complete reboot. They trade away their marquee player in Drew Holiday. They draft future rookie of the year, Michael Carter-Williams. Then <laughs> the majority of the team then is, is le- has left or they're waived, and then the team is filled with young prospects. In the years following, they won 19 games in 2014, followed by an 18-win season, then a 10-win season. And then they bounced back up to 28. It was all just, it was just pretty pathetic. They trade Taddy's Young 2014. They got two players within the entire franchise with three years or more experience in the NBA. So, I mean, this is just, it's just a disaster. Everything is, the fans, the whole league as a whole is like, okay, so the process, what the hell is the, this process? Because it seems like a freaking disaster. They continue to just trade, build up draft capital. They end up with the first picks in 2016 and 2017. It ultimately didn't work out with Fultz, but they got Simmons in that trade in in, in that uh, with that pick as well. So I mean, they got their core. Then they got Embiid. They got Simmons. They had that one year. Is it uh, 2017, 2018, or 2018, 2019 when? Um, they got Tobias Harris. They got Jimmy Butler. That was kind of, they just took the chance there because Jimmy Butler and, and Tobias Harris are both on expiring contracts. So they just kind of took a chance to give these guys the best shot. And of course, we all know they were a simple bounce of a ball away from an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. But ultimately yeah. then it kind of broke up. And then last year we were kind of all like, what the hell were they doing? Why did they take Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler? Now they've regrouped again, and they're 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 back. A uh, new coach, Tobias Harris is looking good, and Beebs in MVP form. Ben Simmons is in Defensive Player of the Year form, and it all just looks like it's coming together for Philly. So I think, like, you you mentioned a lot of names there, and the the only ones that stick out really, like the, what they what the goal here was is you get Embiid, you get Ben Simmons, but I mean Ben Simmons is unreal for this team right now. All, all NBA defense has a really good argument for uh, defensive player of the year this year. Um, and, and an interesting name there too. And you don't, we don't want to play too much woulda, coulda, shoulda, cause you know, a lot of teams can be doing that, but you know, on a night where they draft Mikhail Bridges and they trade him away for Zaire Smith. Um, that's tough. <laughs> Mikhail Bridges playing unreal for the suns a huge reason why the suns have have been uh solid defensively and uh he's just been an incredible player for them this year uh so just the, i think a lot of this comes down to talent evaluation we got to look at how these teams have evaluated talent um not too hard to evaluate ben simmons talent that was a no-brainer that year um same thing with joel Embiid. but in the in the light of a lot of people talking about ben simmons and joel Embiid, their fit that, that's a tough question. When when teams are looking in the draft, when you think you've drafted your guy, well, they're not even possibly sure that Joel Embiid is their guy, given his health concerns at the time, 
um, hadn't even played um, more than a month of basketball at a time by the time they're drafting uh, Ben Simmons. But I think that, you know, you do have to just draft the best available when you're in that situation. But um, it, it feels like they were never able to, to hit on a guy and invest in them. And so I suppose you could say that that's worked out with how they've got Ben Simmons there. Um, but it's just, it's just crazy to think that it's taken them an entire decade to accumulate the talent that they have now um, compared to these other teams. Denver and, Denver and Utah were able to be competitive through losing. Um, you know, Denver lost Mello, obviously, and they're right back in it a few years later. Utah, you know, they, they continuously lost talent. They lost Darren Williams. They lost Hayward. Um, they were able to really figure it out with later picks, but I'm, I guess, I, I guess I'm not sold. I'm not sold on the, the, the tanking aspect of it because, you know, the 76ers can do it because they have money. I mean, they, they have all the money in the world, but then we contrast that with, you know, a Memphis Grizzlies team. If the Memphis Grizzlies started to, to tank and lose every single game, like they, they wouldn't survive. They'd literally have to, to, to sell the franchise, move on teams like Denver, teams like Utah, um, especially Phoenix and, and Phoenix, like it, if we contrast them with the 76ers, I mean, they were right there in terms of tanking, trying to tank their way uh, to the top. And I mean, they, they've been even worse off in terms of how they've drafted. Um, you, you were mentioning the names of the, the 76ers. We got Alex Len here at the fifth pick, um, Dragon Bender, fourth pick, Josh Jackson, fourth pick. Um, I mean, it, I think it's, it's only the interesting case for, for the Suns too. Um, is the fact that their best players that they've drafted have come out of the top five, out of the top seven. I mean, they, they got their Devin Booker. They got their guy at 13. Mikhail Bridges, the guy they, dra- they, they traded for, he was 10th. Cam Johnson was, I think he was 10th or 11th. But I, I, think, I think the point is when we, when we really lay out the land of, of these teams here is that there's always going to be talent. Um, you, might, you might not have that Ben Simmons at one or that Joel Embiid at three. But if you've got your guy, like you don't need to go to the top to get talent. They've shown time and time again, there's plenty of opportunity to be drafting guys outside of the lottery, drafting guys at the late lottery. So it, it's it's tough to me, especially now the way that the, the lottery is laid out, that you don't have a guaranteed spot to be drafting at the top four. And you you could be like the the Pelicans. Pelicans had a had not even a top five chance at uh, getting the first pick and they got lucky and the way the lot, the odds work out, we're going to see plenty more of those stories over the next few years. Um, so I think ultimately, I don't know, it, it feels like tanking is maybe not dead, but it's not, it's not as dramatic as a process. Not a, definitely not the same as it was. And no, certainly not. I think as well, I think the biggest thing, obviously it's working out now for Philly, but at the same time, the first year of Joel Embiid was played by injury. The first year of Ben Simmons was played by injury. Yeah. So I mean, you look at that, and there was there was there was so many times during this this process that that Philly fans were like, "This is the biggest cock up we have ever seen ever." What the <laughs> it was hell never ending. <laughs> and obviously, you, you mentioned the money aspect, and that that that's something that Philly are kind of a bigger franchise. And then you look at the likes of Denver and Utah. You kind of liken them, arguably, to the likes of, of Sacramento and Charlotte and Minnesota. Those are kind of the guys that 
they rely on the draft. It's going to be tough for them to to bring in talent in free agency and and via uh, trade because just because just there's always going to be better options for players. Players want to go to places like Miami. They want to go to places like Boston, LA, that sort of thing. They ain't going to want to go to Utah or Denver. But I mean, let's we'll start with Denver. I think you just love how, how they how they, their franchise is run and how they've gone about building up this team. I think obviously you mentioned uh, Melo leaving, but how it all started was back 2003. They draft Melo. They 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 have different going way way back. Yeah. All the way back. Yeah, <laughs> they they pair them with different guys like like Iverson and, and Billups. They see solid success. That included a Western Conference Finals appearance in '09. Then Messiah Jerry came in in 2010. He kind of wanted to shake things up a bit, and and that kind of spooked Melo a bit. They obviously they didn't want him to leave, and he didn't want to leave himself. But he thought they were kind of moving towards a rebuild, and he was like, "I'm in the prime of my career. I need to get out of here. I can't." Can't waste years. Uh, just, just can't waste years here. I got to waste my years in New York. Instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to you got to waste your years in a bigger market. You know. So yeah, he he left ahead of the the twenty eleven trade deadline. And then it's it's like it's a young team, a different style, but they tried to remain competitive, which was the big thing. And they never won less than thirty games in in looking to to find their next their next Carmelo Anthony. And of course, they they've drafted they drafted guys like Nurkic, who's ultimately moved on, but uh, a very talented player. Uh, guys like Gary Harris, who's who's given them great minutes all the time. He's just a real honest player that they've been able they they were able to find uh, Gary Harris, and that was that was all came after after uh, giving uh, up a pick to the Bulls when they when they drafted those two guys. And then the biggest one of all, they find Nikola Jokic deep in the second round, and just look at him now. He is he is right up there in the MVP conversation, and he is the modern day big that, that any team would love to have. They have these miracle picks, right? These absolute miracle picks. Um, I mean, Jokic, he wouldn't even be in the league right now if he, when he uh, tried to get onto Real Madrid. They basically saw his tape and they're like, yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> if he wasn't rejected by Real Madrid, he he would uh he wouldn't have been here. And it's to get talent like that in the second round, you know, if if Jokic even ended up being a solid player, um, that would have been representative of how they they've drafted. Um, but for them to have hit on him with superstar, I mean, no, no one sees these things coming. We we, we won't we won't sit here and talk about the Denver Nuggets for being a genius for, for knowing that Jokic was going to be that best player in the league. Um, but I mean, for, for them to, I think it was a reward for a team that didn't tank. They, they continuously competed every year. They were constantly making moves to, uh, to get better. Um, I mean, like, like you, like you said, when you, when you lose mellow, um, it's, it's a long way back long way back after you finally have your star but what they did here and this is a key thing it's like they didn't lose him for nothing they traded him for a ton of good uh talent i mean they they had gallinari who who really helped them be continue to compete um i mean chandler and kufus back then they were they were solid players and mozgov they turned him into two first round picks so i mean what they they kept recycling these these talents and getting picks out of it and staying 
um, competitive at the same time, which is you know key for a team, like we said, a small market team that has to stay somewhat relevant. Um, and you hit on guys, you hit on guys like your, your Jokic. And what, what's funny is, I mean, they, they've drafted enough for two teams. They, they, they gifted Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, two of their own picks to, uh, to Utah. So, so in their own right, they've rebuilt two teams in less time that the 76ers were able to rebuild one team, if you think about it. Um, but for the, for the Denver Nuggets, like I said, you got guys like Monte Morris. Take, you, you take uh, Malik Beasley at 19th. Monte Morris is a 51st pick. Um, Kenneth Reed, 22nd pick. Um, even at Evan Fournier, who's not no longer the team, but being picked 20th, like they're able to evaluate talent in a very impressive way. I mean, their management has been really good. They, they had Masai Ujiri um, after that, uh, you know, Pat Connolly, Arturis Karnasovas, who's now running the Bulls. Um, so a lot of people comparing the, the Bulls now, how are they going to build their team now that they have a, a Denver-like structure? Um, and you, you see that too in the, in the Raptors, how the Raptors have, have built their team, drafted really well late. It's just this, uh, it's, it's really deeper than uh, what the average fan can see. What we are allowed to see is, is how managements are, are built out, how competent they are to evaluate talent. And that's something that Denver has been really good at uh, over the past decade. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest biggest contract you can pay them, and this is why I believe it's been a success. We talked to them kind of being a team that always kind of need to do what they can to stay relevant. But the last two years, they've won three playoff series, and that included last year going to the Western Conference Finals. This is a, this team is is really having serious success, and it's come from staying competitive. They've been rewarded, as you mentioned, for remaining competitive and that's this is a great example of why teams don't need to tank and if you have the right things in place within the front office you do not need to tank you can always remain competitive and you can find a way to not just become a perennial playoff team but become a team that can really shake things up in playoffs yeah i mean it's funny that you know (laughs) they're their best the mvp i i can't remember and I, and, I, and I won't remember uh, the last time a second round pick, someone picked out late was an MVP candidate. I mean, ultimately he wins it this year. I, he, he's got, if he's not the first, he's one of, of a couple. Uh, that, that's something I actually should look up. But, um, you know, you, you look across the league and we talked about your Ben Simmons. You talked about your, your Joel Embiid, um, your uh, Carl Anthony Towns, all these number one picks um high high top five picks and they were able to find that outside of the first round and maybe that's maybe that's not the norm that that's definitely not the norm um you don't get that all the time um but you know there's there's other ways to get your stars and i think the bulls have done that the the bulls found their way to get their star they they traded jimmy butler and they got picks back for it they're able to restart the rebuild and zach levine now has proven proven this year that he's not just a scorer but he's a star that you can build around so I mean once once you get that doesn't matter if you're getting him in the lottery doesn't matter if you're getting him in the the late in the second round but at that point you can you can be competitive at that point you can try and build your team out be more be more active in building a roster around young guys with veteran talent um hiring a coach who can be competent. And that's, that's a key thing here. I, I think too, that hasn't happened for some of these teams. I mean, Denver, when they got, 
and they got Mike Malone in 2014, like that really revamped their, their success. Like he, he was definitely a franchise changer in his own right. Same thing for Utah, um, signing Quinn Snyder. I mean, both these guys have been fixtures in um, coach of the year conversations um, and in their own right with the talent that they had to develop them. That's, that's the thing. Do, do these organizations have the ability to develop their talent? Cause a lot of times across the league, you're drafting guys and you end up developing them for other teams. You know, you, who, who do you, who do you have right now on your, your Knicks squad that, that you've drafted? That's your best play. It's, it's not your draft pick. It, a lot of times these guys end up popping somewhere else. So can, do you have an organization that can develop them? Um, and that's an important thing. Like I'm going to keep going back to the Bulls because the thing with the Bulls is we have so much talent and, you know, you needed to get Billy Donovan in there. You needed to develop that or else, you know, Lowry Markkinen's expiring this year. Is someone else going to sign him? Do you know what his talent is? You, you won't know what any of these guys can actually do until you have a coaching staff, training staff, an organization to actually bring that out of them. And, Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck drafting players and these players move on and you won't even have an ability to build a team around them because you never knew what they were and you won't until you have a, that, that coach to do so. Um, so, you know, that's, this isn't the, the coaching conversation, but that has to be something that, that comes into play. Can, can any of these players really even thrive in, in situations where you're constantly losing? Yeah, I think that's a that's a big thing. I think uh, obviously Minnesota have just recently uh, changed changed head coach uh, as, as you predicted, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, <laughs> I think in the early days, it's kind of looking like he, he's going simple and he's just playing through Carl Anthony Towns as much as he possibly can, which is a no brainer. You just wonder is is that what the future is going to be, or is he just kind of doing that early on because it's the, the easiest way to 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 come into the franchise that that's something you have to wait wait and see on but like you look at Minnesota uh, the Kings and Charlotte there there are three teams obviously the Bulls are kind of a bit more of a a bigger franchise a bit more of a team they've they've had success and they they know that they they can get back into a position where they can be competitive again but Teams that are like uh, Minnesota, like like Sacramento, like Charlotte, they need to look at teams like Denver and Utah, and say this is how we need to run our franchise. That's how they have to work. There, there are always going to be teams where, even if they get high in the lottery, the guys are going to be there for a couple of years, and if they're just going to keep on losing, they're going to want out very, very quickly. So they have to look at these these areas, and they got, they got to just think, we need to have the best scouts that we can. We need to bring in coaches that are capable of developing these young players. Maybe the guys aren't set when they first come into the NBA, but they bring in the right coaches and they can develop them and they can inspire them to just work as hard as they possibly can. And they can become really good NBA players. That's that's just the biggest thing. And it's so important for these franchises that maybe don't have the money or the fan base behind them that they can just rely on that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wanted, I definitely want to go back to what you mentioned, um, the hiring of Chris Finch uh, over in Minnesota, uh, which is a story in its own right, uh, for Saunders to get canned and the same day they have a hire lined up. <laughs> like he, he had to have, they, they had that planned out and it's, it's a, it was a sad ending to what was a, a, a bit of a 
quick fairy tale story for a guy to be taking over his uh, late father's uh, legacy in Minnesota. But Chris Finch is, if, if, if you don't know him, you probably don't. I, I didn't until I, I read up on him. Um, I mean, he's, he's definitely regarded as, as one of the best offensive minds in the game. Um, if you look at the teams he's, he's been on in the first season that they've joined, he went to Houston. They went from 16th to fourth in offensive rating. Denver, 17th to fourth. New Orleans, 26th to 12th. Toronto, 13th to 10th. Um, he's had positive impacts everywhere he's gone on the offensive end. Um, and, you know, they had Tom Thibodeau before. Um, they wanted to get that defense in there, but I think maybe maximizing the offense here is, is the way to go. And, you know, couple names that you think of when you think of who Chris Finch has, uh, has helped coach is your Anthony Davis, your uh, Nikola Jokic, Pascal Siakam, uh, bigs who are two-way players who can pass the ball, who can play uh, all three levels on offense. And they, he, I think he had a big impact on utilizing them more in the offense as, as the, as the main creator. So if, if they can get Carl Anthony Towns, to be the main creator, if, if that's something that can happen, instead of just having him in the post, instead of just having him a pick and popper, if they can have him as a uh, primary creator, especially with D'Lo coming off the ball, Anthony Edwards still needs time. He's the true too. I, I don't think Anthony Edwards is, is ever really going to be the guy that you rely on to, to create uh, by himself. If, if, that is, if that's something that comes of this Chris Finch hiring, I think that's going to completely unlock this team. Um, I mean, this Timberwolves team wants to run as far away as they can from the lottery. I don't think they're gonna they're gonna make uh, the playoffs. I mean, that would be that would be an insane run. Chris Finch would be coach of the year if, if he comes on and they win like twenty games from here and then somehow sneak into the playoffs. But I think if they'll they'll sleep a lot better at night if they're if they're picking losing their tenth, eleventh, twelfth pick as opposed to losing their losing their fifth or fourth pick that would just be a heartbreaker but I'm interested to see if this coaching change galvanizes the Timberwolves I already feel like this coaching change for the Bulls has has totally galvanized this team I mean that all the players say it you can see it on the floor how these players are being used differently um and it's it's completely sensible like 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 we said I'll run it home that these so many players in the league especially young players coaches don't want to play them in the wrong system. And I have that same worry for your Knicks that Tom Thibodeau, you know, he's, he's all in on Randall, which has worked out, got your all-star, but when are we going to see Obi Toppin? When are we, when are we going to see um, Manuel quickly be involved more? When are you going to see any development of Kevin Knox? When are you going to see, um, I mean, I've, you, you've seen RJ Barrett be relied on a lot, but I, I think that you, you wonder for, for teams like that, are you going to waste your young talent if coaching isn't using them to their, to their advantage? Yeah. I think that's kind of a big thing. I think it's coach Dave's going to have success wherever he goes because the way he can build his team to, to defend and just get such efficient play out, out of players, but he's not a guy. He, he He's had enough time in this league. He's not going to be there worrying about developing young players. He's going to go in there and just get as much success out, out of the, out of the established players on, on the team as, as he possibly can. And he, it, it, it's what you're going to get out of him. So yeah, that's definitely something you look at with the Knicks and obviously it's, they've, they've had uh, plenty of trouble trying to find a, a coach to really, uh, to help them advance. But 
let's uh, let's uh, move on for that before I start uh, I start crying. <laughs> um, so we talked a bit on the jazz, uh, the way that they developed, and ultimately the Denver Nuggets had had a big impact on that as they were uh, they were willing to, to to trade Gobert and Mitchell to uh, to uh, Utah. But I mean, they oh came in, yeah. They came into the decade as kind of a perennial playoff team. Then they were able to draft Gordon Hayward, who ultimately becomes an All Star. But then, at the first chance he gets, basically, he he jumps ship and goes to Boston. Another big uh, big impact you see uh, of being the Utah Jazz. You cannot really rely on guys, even if you develop them, even if they love playing there, they're gonna look to move on if you cannot build the right team around them and have the right things in place to make them want to stay. I mean, between 2010 and 2016, they got one playoff appearance, but they were only below 30 wins once in that in that time. So they were similar to Denver. They 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 tried their best to remain competitive and they had solid years. They just did they only had kind of one, two guys and they just didn't have enough to to move on. But now we look at them they're now in a position to succeed. They currently have the best record in the NBA. They're playing unbelievable basketball. They've had four straight playoff years, and it looks like their team is set up well to finally really make a big impact in the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's truly amazing how, you know, <laughs> how quickly our, our takes can change uh, based on the results of each season, each season. Um, I mean, we, we were definitely debating about Rudy Gobert, should he be extended for that much? Um, is it is it worth having him around? And you know, I've I've turned into a huge Rudy Gobert fan just seeing how he's impacted that team. Um, and I think I think the point is here when you look at the history of Utah, um, for for them to have not made it far enough with Darren Williams, and then they had they had to ultimately trade him. They weren't sure if Darren Williams was going to stay. It's back in two thousand eleven. Um, you know, they, they were able to rebuild by having the picks that they got for him. They, they were able to, to get Hayward and they're able to find the guy. They, they thought Hayward was their guy. They didn't end up doing the same thing. They, they, I feel like the general consensus was their, their last iteration, their last star with, with Darren Williams, they had to give up on that. And they, they waited for Hayward and he ended up leaving and right back to it. They finally get another guy and, and Donovan Mitchell, who, Let's remember they traded Trey Lyles and 24th pick Tyler Lydon to Denver for Donovan Mitchell, like just absolutely robbed them of Donovan Mitchell and um, the getting the draft rights for Gobert. Just they were able to scrap together a couple of guys again, not in the top five, not even the top 10 um, for them to have their core around that. Just again, tanking. You don't need to tank in order to get these guys. You, if you know how to evaluate talent, it's teams around the league have done it. And um, not just that, they've continually, you know, tried to, to make their team better. Um, you know, trading, they haven't gone full in on the draft. They still tried to get better getting uh, George Hill back in 2016. They, they traded Torian Prince, their, the, their 12th pick there to get George Hill. Um, they traded their, their picks uh, in, in 2013. They traded up to get Trey Burke at nine. That was supposed to be their guy. So they've been aggressive. They, they haven't just, stand pat and I, I think that's one thing that's impressive with Utah they they have 
they haven't just uh, let things come to them. They've been proactive in the market and trying to get the players that they needed. Um, and it's just funny that the the guys they needed weren't in the top ten. They weren't they weren't sitting there in the lottery. Um, so when we fast forward to them signing uh, Mitchell and signing Rudy Gobert, it's a long term contract. I mean, that's a huge win for an organization that I think has been waiting for a true foundation. They they haven't had that really since the '90s. It's been a constant. Uh, constant cycle of, of players, you know, you, even the name like Carlos Boozer, leaving them in, in free agency for the Bulls. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, it's really fitting that they're succeeding the way they are now, that with the patience they've had, and again, the, the completely investing, not just in their young guys, but investing in the coaching alongside it, making sure that those two match. And what we're seeing right now, you know, it's, it's beautiful basketball because they've carefully constructed a roster that works with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and Quinn Snyder. It's perfect. That's, that's what we're seeing. And I really hope we'll, we'll see how that ends up um, playing out for them in the playoffs for a team that does not have that, that uh, marquee superstar, the signed free agency, but they, they got their, their guys uh, as later picks. It'll be really interesting for me to see how this uh, ends up working out for them. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, you liken this sort of move in a sort of similar way to the way that Sacramento are at the moment. The the guys that they've they've managed to get in through to the draft, some have been with later picks. They've kind of made the jump to commit to one of those stars, and now they just have to they have to go all in on that. But now it's just a question for them is maybe have that question mark over the couple of guys, maybe Buddy Heald, maybe a couple of other guys that you might look to, to move on from. But then you look at Frank Vogel and you think, is he the guy that can bring the best out of these players? Is he the guy that can make the Aaron Fox an all-star? Is he a guy that can develop Tyrese Halliburton into a, a star player in this league? That's the next step for them and, you look at, at teams like, like Denver and Utah, like we keep saying, and they have, they've made moves to get in the right coaches, the right, the right players around their stars, and it's all coming together. And now the other teams that are just kind of, they, they might just have their star. They got to look at these situations and really start going to work and do an in-depth search to really find the best connection to give their, their team the ultimate chance to succeed. You say Frank Vogel? When Sorry, not Frank Vogel. <laughs> He's the current Lakers I was, coach. Oh, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Did he? <laughs> I, I missed Wal- something there. Walton, Walton, Walton. The ex-Laker coach now in charge of Sacramento. That's that's Listen, that, that's that's still not as bad as as forgetting that Brandon Ingram was an all-star last year, but I, I had to call you out on that. <laughs> I had to get my revenge. <laughs> Confusing all the Lakers coaches, you know. <laughs> I, I am I am super worried about that. Um, because Kings, Kings, Suns, Hornets. These are three teams that, that were remarkably similar to me. You know, yeah, they have the 76ers having their process, but you know, but before before it was cool, before it was super, it was before Sam Hinkey made it cool. The Kings and Suns and Hornets have been tanking forever. They've been mired in this uh, in this situation forever. And um for the Kings. I think that that time has come where, you know, it was, I don't understand when you talk about coaching, how do they fire Jaeger? Jaeger for Luke Walton, that, that will always never make sense to me. 
I, I don't understand it. What was it because Buddy Heald had beef with Davey? Like, who cares? Like this, this guy that you're not even going to probably keep in the long term. I don't think, but that, that I think was, was one of the worst moves they've had. And since they've had uh De'Aaron Fox um, and the, the coaching stability, um, I feel like the, the Bulls are almost like a case study for all these teams in a way. Coaching stability is a huge thing. Zach Levine hasn't had a, a consistent coach for his entire career. None of these players have. Got your Jim Boylan, got your um, uh, Fred Hoiberg. And in order to have these, these players you know, succeed and actually learn is to have a consistent system to, to make them better. Not, not even just, uh, it's just not works for them perfectly, but just a, a consistent system, not learning something new every single season. Um, but yeah, that back to the draft in these teams. Let, let's let's take a look at the Suns. What, why are the Suns good right now? Suns are good right now because they have Chris Paul. Suns are good right now because they drafted for need as opposed to drafting purely for talent when they got their guy. Um, and that was a very dramatic departure from what they've done for the past decade. Um, and some unfortunate uh, drafting here. I mean, like we said, Alex Len, Dragonbender, Josh Jackson. I, I don't, do, do we look back on that or as like poor talent evaluation? I, I don't know. Like I, I, I look back on how the Suns had, had drafted and there's just too many busts to count. And you do the same thing for the Kings. You got names like Thomas Robinson, Ben McElmore, Nick Stauskas, Willie Cauley-Stein, um, freaking unfortunately, Tyreek Evans, you know, I thought maybe he would be something, but Jason Thompson, Spencer Hawes, like for a team that's in the lottery that much and you're not getting anything out of it, there, there's got to be something to that. And I think you compare the Kings to the Hornets. I mean, the Hornets, they, you can talk about all their picks in the past, your, your Vonleys, your Kaminsky's, your Zellers, your Michael Kidd Gilchrist, your, your DAJ Augustine's. And I think what we look at now, you say, wow, you got PJ Washington, you got Miles Bridges, um, you got Lamella Bala. Those seem to be like really solid picks that don't compare to their, their just honestly terrible picks for your Cody Zellers. <laughs> and what did they change? They changed in 2015, they revamped the scouting department. They're actually looking at advanced stats. They're actually evaluating players um, with a modern scouting department, something that the Kings haven't done. Something that surprisingly, um, you know, a lot, a lot of teams in the league still are behind on. Um, a, a very small uh, management factor that, you know, we don't consider when we think about how are these teams screwing it up every time. It's just they, they're not using, they're not using advanced stats. They're not using the, uh, the infrastructure that a lot of other teams are investing in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm think, <clears throat> not going to say it's easy to, to, to have the right scaling systems in place. I think there's only so many great scouts out there to go around to, to work for each franchise. But if you can put the work in, if you can find these guys, it can be just so, so key to, to your team, not only remaining competitive every year, but being in that position to take the leap to being competitive in the playoffs. I think we both could have drafted better than the Kings. I, I, I can confidently say that. Would you, would you say I, <laughs> I would not want to have the job of a GM, but I can say for a fact that I would do better than what they've had for the past decade. I mean, they, they picked, it's crazy. They picked in the top 10 from 2009 to 2018. 
And it's very possible their best pick is going to be this year, their 12th pick in Tyrese Halliburton, who literally fell into their lap. Like it, it's, it's very possible that we look at this in five years and that was, that ended up being their best pick there. Yeah, no, that's kind of, that's kind of the funny thing. You kind of look at it that sort of way. They, they pick so high, then they, they ultimately drop out of the top 10 and then they're kind of like, oh, okay, maybe we'll work a little bit harder on, uh, on, on, on making sure that we draft a guy that is going to translate well into the NBA and a guy who's going to complement the rest of our team well. It's kind of it's such a weird weird situations occur when 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 you think about these little these little slight differences and then obviously they were lucky there there was a great deal of luck in being able to get Halliburton at at the twelve pick but at the same time with the history of the Kings you wouldn't have been surprised if they had passed on him and gone for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So again, we said for the Suns they're they we compare them to the kings and hornets only because they they started to they they stopped the process they were able to to start drafting for for fit and we'll, we'll see how it I'm, I'm interested to see how in the future how jalen smith works out for for the uh, for the suns you know he's another another reach people will say just like cam johnson um but people said mikhail bridges you know mikhail bridges he's he's not uh, he's not worth picking in the lottery because uh, he's, he's old. He's not going to develop. And look where he is now. He's added to his game tremendously. Um, Cam Johnson has proven to be an elite shooter. Jalen Smith, if this ends up being another guy who works around Booker, um, you know, you sell that on, on free agency. You sell that to, to, um, to other players. And ultimately, you, you can make moves for your CP3s. You can make moves to to make your make your team better around that young star. And how how I mean I'm not I'm not sure for, for the Kings with, with with the assets they have, but I'm interested right right now. We're, we're coming up to the trade deadline and when it comes to to the draft here, we we said it. I mean if the Kings aren't going to make the playoffs, and this is this is the different part I guess with, with tanking because tanking can be like a like the process, maybe this is a five-year plan. You try and get your, your best star, but for a team like the Kings where I know they're trying to make the playoffs, but it becomes likely that they can't. Do you sell off of a guy like Harrison Barnes and try to get a little worse? Are, are they in a position where maybe they, they want to add another talent? Tyrese Halliburton's 19 years old. You just signed, um, you just signed Fox to your long-term deal. Um, Maybe this is a time. I'm I'm not sure. They're they're a team here that I'm not necessarily sold on them being done acquiring young talent because as many chances as they've had, I'm not even sold on Bagley being that guy. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you there. I think they're still in a position where obviously you 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 have to think that they believe that Fox is their guy after giving them that that new contract, or maybe it was just we cannot possibly afford to let you not be our guy. Could have been that 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 sort of way as well, but yeah, I think they're still a very young team, and they definitely are still in a position where it's okay to still be looking to acquire the young talent rather than having to go all in right now on Fox when Fox is still a guy who we haven't even seen his best basketball yet. So yeah, I I would agree with you there. When when they get, we'll see maybe after the All Star break, see what sort of position they're in, and maybe then they start to look at the fact that. It's not. It's not all. It's not 
crucial for us to make the playoffs this year. I think you never like to to encourage a team to to not not be out on the court to win every night. But I think uh, compared to to the situation that the Bulls are in, I think it, it it would probably be wiser for them to not necessarily tank, but 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 look to be in a position where they can can have a pretty high pick in, in this upcoming draft. Yeah, I mean, man, look at the drafts. You got like, I mean, two guys I look at for them. Three actually. If if they got their hands on an Evan Mobley for Tyrese Halliburton and uh, De'Aaron Fox to be working alongside, that would be unbelievable. I mean, Evan Mobley. Well, I, I want to at one point start talking about some of these these college prospects, but you know, you you look at him as a seven footer who's got deft touch around the rim. He can stretch the floor. And he's shown that he can be a two-way player when he's engaged. He's he's got Kevin Garnett-like offense, being able to to play in the the mid-range, the mid-post. And it, you you have to look at guys like that. Look guys like Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green, who look like explosive wings. And the Kings have been dying for wings. And you know we we just we just spent the last half hour or so talking about how you don't need to be in the in the lottery to pick these guys, but. I think it's situational in a year like this um, where you know that there's talent there and you combine that with, you know, you're not going to make the playoffs and you have some, some talent to, to trade off. I, I think there, there are definitely situations where you can think about the future. Um, I, I don't think they, they have it here yet in the same way that, you know, in the Eastern conference, maybe like I, I can, you can make a better argument for the bulls and the Hornets who, you know, we just talked about last episode how you can make the playoffs. You can make a pretty good argument for any of these teams to make the playoffs. Um, but for, for the, for the Bulls at least sitting at the um, with right there in the standings, that's, they're in a different position. I think they're in a very different position in terms of, of how much talent they've acquired that they need to evaluate and the playoffs are the perfect chance to do that. But the Kings, I just don't think, I don't think there's enough there. We've looked at, we've looked at them over the past few weeks been watching them over the past few weeks and you know that there's not enough talent there to really stop yet Tyrese Halliburton is like your star glue guy I I don't know if he's your number one Darren Fox could be your number one but you're not the wings in this league are are the way to go in order to compete I mean look at how how Boston is set Boston's basically set for the next half decade um, and you, you want to have that. And I, hopefully the, the Bulls are set the way that they, they've been uh, showcasing Patrick Williams. Um, and the Suns, they, they got their Mikhail Bridges. Like, there's a common theme here in, in teams and having the wings that they need. Miles My, Bridges, even for the Hornets, has, has looked like he's going to be a solid um, two-way wing for years. Um, that's something that the Kings don't have, and that's, that's something that's going to be tough for them as a team that's constantly been in the bottom of the league and perimeter defense for years now, they've, they've just never been able to get their hands on a wing that can do it on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I think you kind of look at it in kind of two ways, two ways in, the, in a kind of the modern sort of NBA, you kind of look at it in terms of either you got some elite wing players or you look at, you got the dominant backcourt and a defensive bedrock. And that's kind of the core that you, that, that you try you tried to build around. And obviously we keep talking, we're talking about the main four teams that this whole, this whole series is based around and the Bulls and Hornets kind of more so in a position where it's okay for them to, to try and make a playoff push. 
while as we, we we said there with the Kings, they're still in a position where they need to build with young talent. And Minnesota, of course, they're going to be without their their uh, their number one pick this year, and they're and they're looking likely that they could end up with the worst record, which is just going to be a complete disaster. But you talk about Finch coming in and and how good he can can uh, how important his offensive philosophy is, and obviously the biggest issue for the Timberwolves is they they have negative defense basically, and <laughs> but. That's not going to change this season realistically. So maybe just all they should just do is go all in on trying to make this offense as efficient as they possibly can, and then maybe look to make some moves to to get some better defense in come come um, come the off season. Stephen Gundy said it best in an interview uh, last week when asked about how how he's he's feeling out the the team over there in New Orleans and um, for their offense to have gotten this much better. Um, it's it's impressive, but their defense is still bad. And for a coach like Stan Van Gundy, who is um, obsessed with with good team defense, you know, even he admitted, you know, you can't be successful in this league if you're good at defense and bad at offense. You, you're just you're just not going to be able to to get buckets in this league. So to to invest in the best assets that you have, I, I think Anthony Edwards, um, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, they're they're offensively super talented um and what i don't understand about carl anthony towns and i don't know if this is the the right conversation here but you know he was looked at as a defensive monster coming out of college so you know i wonder if he's one of those guys that you know in in non-competitive situations and maybe he just doesn't have the conditioning either right now to, to be putting it all on the floor on both ends but I think the one thing that's kept him from being a superstar in my mind, like I, I see him as an offensive superstar, but really being one of the league's best is being not being very impactful on that end. He's, he's not been um, as impactful as, you know, coming out of the draft we thought he would be. Um, but I, I am really interested in that. And I think, you know, I, I think this is a good time for us to give our final thoughts here as we, as we wrap this up um, on how, how, how we think the each of these four teams here is going to be in the future. I, I think I've talked plenty on the Bulls. I think they're they're going to continue to be competitive. They're going to continue to to push with this current team. And, you know, I, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of trades here for them. I, I, I don't think that they're the way that they've been successful recently. Um, I think for this front office, this Denver based front office, they're going to invest in these guys and if anything, uh, make trades for for better players instead of getting worse. Um, but for, for the Timberwolves, um, I think it's, it's that coaching change. It's, it's really going to galvanize them. I, I expect that they should get better out of this. I expect that they're going to, um, they're, I think they're going to hold on to, to Anthony Edwards the way that he's come on. It's interesting how that's changed over the past uh, month and a half now. Um, you know, the, I think one thing we have to learn is over the years, you have to be, patient I think you're you're a little bit more patient than I am in terms of uh, evaluating guys but well, to, to see him blossom perhaps in the situation and if Carl Anthony Townsend stay patient um, they they might have something here in a couple of years um, if if this coaching change is really going to turn it around for them but is are, are you feeling the same on these two teams after we've been looking at it do, do you think their direction should be any different from where they're at now or is is this just going to be status quo for these teams? No, I think I think you're you're spot on there. I think 
Bulls have, have they, they've got their guy that you look at, at Zach Levine right now and you can call it, it it would not be crazy for you to call him a, a top 15 top 20 player in, in this league so he's your guy and it, and it's only right to invest in him they've still got some young talent that they can develop which is going to happen because most importantly they've got their star that's going to keep them competitive in games so but they've also got the coach in place. They've got they've got some some experience around these young guys that's going to help them, hopefully develop into the best players that they can be. You look at the likes of Kobe White, the likes of uh, of Patrick Williams, and there's gonna it's just going to be uh, having to be smart uh, with um, with the draft from here on in. They're not going to have the the high picks. They're not going to have to to worry too much about which of the which of the star guys in, in the draft to pick, but they're going to have to be thorough with their research and, and look for these guys deeper in the draft to, to, to hopefully find the best talent that they can. And then in terms of the Timberwolves, the, bi- the big thing was, was the coaching change. That was something that needed to happen. Obviously, defense is such a, still such a big issue, but they have got serious offensive talent. They've got at least one potential superstar in their team in Carol Anthony Town. So, they go all in now and work on making this team as offensively efficient as possible. And then come the offseason, they try and work on making them a more all-round team. And then they'll, in, in a year or two time, they, they will be in a very positive position to finally have some sort of success with, with Carl Anthony Towns. They've got to again. This it it blows my mind. A team this bad is is not going to have their their lottery pick this year, for most likely not. Um, but any final thoughts here on the on the Kings and Hornets? Kings, keep building. Be smart. You you have not found you have not ultimately found your 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 key piece that 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 should make you think you have to go for a playoff run right now. And Hornets. You just keep keep doing what you're doing. They're they're in a good place. They've got their experienced talent. They paid big for him in Gordon Hayward. They've got their new potential superstar in Lamelo Ball, and they're getting some serious work out of some of their their perennial players. So yeah, uh, Kings, you've still got some building to do. It's still about bringing in the young guys and, and finding a way to get the best out of out of De'Aaron Fox and, and develop him and, and the likes of Halliburton into the best players they can be maybe that might involve coaching change but Hornets you're looking like you're getting on on a better track than you have been in the past and you just keep keep going on that flow yeah I mean I'm I'm thinking that you know that the key for them here for for the Hornets is evaluating your guys like PJ Washington and Miles Bridges um because are, are those going to be your your wings of the future um PJ Washington seems to be this this perfect positionless basketball type guy. Miles My, Bridges seems to fit that mold as well. Um, are, are those are those going to be the guys that fit best around the mellow ball for the future? Um, because obviously, you know, you you brought in Gordon Hayward to have a veteran presence to stay competitive for sure. Um, but when you when you see how good Lamelo Ball has been. You think about if if you can hit on a draft to this year, if you can hit on a guy that fits alongside him perfectly, then you're, you're talking. You have your core. You you did what Boston did. You, you have your core for the next five ten years, um, which which is something that teams dream about. 
And I, I, I can't, I can't help but feel like there's that the decision is is that in between that and also is do you, do you want to have Lamelo Ball have the experience in the playoffs or experience competing for the playoffs? Is is that in one year more valuable than than drafting potentially a guy like I said that can change your franchise alongside Lamelo Ball? Um, I don't know. I don't think the expectations are very high. And I, and I don't think that Gordon Hayward didn't sign here because he thinks he's going to compete in the playoffs. He signed here because you gave him the most money. So it's almost like you took your money. So you're, you're going to be fine if you're leaving, uh, if you're going home early this year. So I, I feel really good about how, where the Hornets are uh, and how they've acquired talent. But I, I think that it would be huge for them in one more year to be, to be in the lottery. And, and like I said, this whole, this whole episode, we've talked about how long-term, you know, the lottery isn't the answer. The long-term you can, you can be competitive when, when you are, when you found the guy, we could be competitive when you're in the right situation. You don't have to constantly be searching for talent and put together a super team because that's, that's across the board, not how it's worked out. Um, But I think in this particular year, and I I think this makes me want to have an episode later on and evaluate some of the talent that everyone's so excited about. But in this particular year, it it seems like this is the time where they can get that last pick because you don't want to have LaMelo Ball like Kemba Walker mired in this, this constant process of being in the lottery and not being competitive. So if you do it early on, the same way that they did, that the Warriors did with Steph Curry, they're able to get their Clay Thompson and their Draymond Green if they can do that early on, that could be the recipe for them putting drafting a team that's going to be successful. I, I, I'm very excited if they can get in the lottery again this year to see what they can do with that. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think I'd certainly have to agree with you there. I think it's it's definitely exciting. You, you have, the mellow ball has got all the aspects of a guy that you want to see night in and night out on, on, on the court, and most importantly, being in a team that that is going to be competitive over the next 10 years. Yeah, man, like a Jalen a Green, if, if you haven't got a starting lineup of LaMelo Ball, a scorer like Jalen Green, and then you got great two-way players and Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington next to them, Gordon Hayward leading the way, that's, that would be very, very interesting to me. And Terry, look at Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier proving to be a productive player this year too. They, they've got they've got talent off the bench too that's been working out. Devontae Graham has has still been productive, and I I think the only team that we the teams that we look at here that are that we're worried about obviously the Timberwolves and the and the Kings. And I'm I'm more excited now to to think about the Hornets and th- this whole this whole process that that word itself is. I don't like saying it anymore, but this whole process for the Hornets has, has me more excited for them than I think anyone's ever been. I think, I think I would have to agree. And I think that's a good place to end here. Absolutely. Well, man, this has been fun. I, I liked, I liked looking back. I liked looking back at how, how teams have, have put things together, not, not just these teams, but, but reading around the league, um, what's really put together success. And, um, you know, I've, it makes me more excited to to see these, to watch the bad teams, to to watch the teams that maybe you don't you don't want to watch those eighty point games, but but to see uh, see how some of these teams uh, continue to develop over the year. And um, this has been fun. I had a good time with this. Yeah, I always love, always love looking back on the on the history of teams, and and you always got to know that things can change in an instant. <laughs> well, give me a last take. What what one one last thing here? 
because we, we, we talked so much about the Bulls. I, I, I want to know on air um, if you have that guy yet, because we, we've avoided the Knicks this whole time. And I think we've avoided them because we think dysfunction, dysfunction, dysfunction. But uh, give, give me your, your minute or less soapbox. You, you got the box here. Do you, do you have the guy? Are, are you believing in the process here? Do you trust the process? <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm trusting the process. I am. The bit, uh, obviously RJ's had his struggles this year. He had a tough. He had a tough rookie year. The kid's still not even 21 yet. And the most important thing this season is, in lots of cases, he is showing that he's a much more efficient scorer and a much more efficient player overall. They got Emmanuel quickly laid on. He's looking like a potential starter and not only that a potential serious scorer obviously it's still extremely early days and it's he's still got to add efficiency to his game which is going to be a big part of that but we still got a young core we've got an experienced coach so at this very moment with the New York Knicks I'm trusting the process (laughs) all right well what do you what do you think quickly what does he project as Who's, who's like a player comp or or a uh or something like that. Like, what, what do you what do you project him as? And more importantly, you know, what do you project him as alongside RJ Barrett? Who are we talking now, uh, Emmanuel? Quickly. Yeah. I am looking at quickly as a guy who's going to be an elite scorer in this league. And the most important thing is fellow shooting, which is something that I always like and I always love in a guy that's going to be handling the ball a lot and a guy that's going to be getting to the line a lot and the efficiency that he's shooting from the line and the, the quality he's got from deep I think that's going to that's just that's going to be a key a key aspect of, of his game moving forward so you feel like he's a when you say elite scorer do you feel like he's going to be like a, a Lou Williams type like a, a that's a, that's all he does he kind of scores off the bench um or do you feel like he's more Zach Levine, scorer, I, starter, Devin Booker type of guy? Yeah, I'd look at him more. I, I think he's got the potential to be more of a Devin Booker type rather than a, rather than a, than a Lou Williams. But I think either way, he's going to be a guy that has a really big and positive impact on the team. Whether that, hopefully, I hope that's still going to be with the Knicks, but that like, could be elsewhere. But I definitely think he's going to have a really bright career in the NBA. Yeah, I'll wait till the end of the year before we do our our uh, RJ Barrett uh, RJ Barrett take because I know you're 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 patient as ever with this guy. Maybe you're right. Maybe that that is the way to go with it. But uh, anyways, man, I, definitely over time here. But this has been fun. Uh, we'll we'll see what we can talk about next. Definitely some of these uh, young guys coming up in the draft next year. Maybe where they they end up going, where where they're going to be best. Um, but any rate, catch you later, man. It was good talking to you.
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.